Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. We are a St. Louis soccer podcast and we are broadcasting right now on the big 550 KTRS. Welcome everyone. It is, if you're listening to the live show, it is home opener day for the Cardinals. I think we all tried our best to watch as much of the game today as we could. I'm wearing my Cardinals shirt, um, but we have other announcements, things like T-Rav Boys announcements that we're going to get to later. There's a lot going on, uh, but I want to start the show with something um, I have been neglecting to talk about. Stuart's on the show, and he's the newest dad to the podcast. Stuart, congratulations, man. It's awesome. Uh, thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, you guys are both dads. You know, everything changes immediately, so... Yeah, the uh, last couple of weeks have been crazy, just uh, adjusting, and uh, Sarah's been fantastic, so doing what I can to support her because she's the star of the show, making sure baby girl's uh, surviving. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You're already ahead of the curve to most because you realize that. Yeah, right. That's, that's the key. How worthless we are for a while. Uh, but yeah, that, that other voice you just heard is, is Matt Baker. Matt, how are you doing today, man? Doing fantastic. It, like you said, we're broadcasting this right now, recording on Cardinals Home Opener Day. We have some exciting city things, as usual, at this point going on. So life is good. Life is busy. And it's it just seems like a lot of good stuff's happening right now. It is. And, you know, at the top of the list for me personally, uh, I'm pretty biased here, is that St. Louis City is is 5-0. and oh. uh, That's pretty incredible. Five wins, no losses, no draws. What a start to the season. Uh, I think we're going to start the show by going over our our previous win, our most recent win against Real Salt Lake. Matt, do you want to lead us off with the starting 11? Yeah. for So this is our fifth game. And up until this match last week against RSL, we had kind of uh, drove out a 4-4-2 formation on, on our home matches. For our away matches, we'd stuck to more of a 4-2-3-1, riding out Klaus as our lone striker. But for this match, coming off of Nico Giochini's first goal, we kind of went back to the 4-4-2 on the road. And a little bit out of uh, necessity from some of the internationals that were gone, uh, injuries that we had. But our lineup last week had some familiar faces, had some new ones. So it looks like uh, Berkey and Nett, back line of Nelson, Parker, Bartlett, Nerwinski, Leuven, Vasilev in the midfield, Ostrock and Stroud out wide on the wings, and Klaus and Giochini up top. So I, I thought this was out of necessity in the sense that Jabulo Blome was out again. He had COVID, still recovering. He was on the bench. He did see minutes, but he wasn't able to be in the starting lineup. And we're going to touch on him and his availability for Minnesota coming up. But the other interesting thing is Kyle Hebert was unavailable. Kyle Hebert, that last minute almost call up, uh, injury call up to Canada, was unavailable for the first time all season. So Lucas Bartlett got the nod. Uh, and, and actually his second start, the one before, obviously, for Tim Parker. And as we're going to look at, some good things happen, apparently, when Lucas Bartlett starts. That 4-4-2 really, um, really did some work, and Nico Giochini, in particular, had himself a game. He did, indeed. Stuart, any thoughts on the the lineup before we get started on some of the highlights? Uh, well, there are some questions. We, we weren't entirely sure if Parker was going to start leading up to the week, um, but just him and Bartlett and Parker and anyone are an awesome pairing. And one of those great signs of being a good center back is making your partner look great. And I know Bartlett's great on his own. Hebert's great on his own. He wouldn't get a call up to Canada otherwise, but Parker just elevates those guys. And uh, that was just great to see 
against Salt Lake, seeing him back, and long may he stay healthy. Yeah, probably pushing through some pain in that regard, uh, but it seemed like there was absolutely no question about it that, you know, I think they asked if he was okay, and I think he was just like, no-brainer, he was going to be there that day. So it was really nice that he was there, and I agree with you guys. I think he made a big difference by being there. I love what you said, Stu, there. He makes his partners better. I completely agree. Um, Let's talk about the first half of the game. Matt here in the notes talking about how good RSL was against us or how weak St. Louis City was. I don't know. What did you you take it personally? I honestly took it as RSL was the best team so far to game plan for St. Louis City. They had a bye week the week before, so they had two weeks to game plan for this club. And we've seen, as we've talked about, a little bit of a different um, opposition each match. The the opposing teams have thrown a little bit of a different look towards us. Uh, The game flow has gone a little bit differently to where we've either been behind immediately, uh, we, we were behind in, at some point in the first half, but and we went ahead and we stayed ahead, we went ahead and we got knocked back. This time it was more of that stalemate, more or less, in the first half. And we were on that the heels. We were on our heels of that stalemate to the point where, and Bradley Carnell called it in the post game. we were just kind of um, trying to outlast, trying to withstand the, the pressure that they were sending. We were trying to kind of weather the storm, so to speak, And as opposed to getting the ball into the final third, creating a lot of chances, they did a good job, RSL, of preventing some of those long passes, preventing some of those vertical buildups that St. Louis has been known for in the first four matches. So without that, and with kind of the the way that our formation was looking with 4-4-2, Joachini and Klaus weren't able to get some space. They weren't able to be unlocked up front, and Vasilev and Leuven in the middle weren't able to drive the ball as a pivot. We weren't able to get some successive runs out on the wings. Just nothing was happening. We didn't have more than a few shots on goal. We didn't have more than a few shots. We only had one shot, I think, on goal in that first half. Um, RSL, on the other hand, brought it to Berkey a few times. And Mm. none more so than at the end of the first half. And that kind of, from a first half perspective, it is almost the first 44, 45 minutes. And then there's the stoppage time save that Berkey had. Because once we were successful in outlasting, withstanding that storm from RSL, what Berkey did to save that shot, full extension, kind of leg diving to his weak side to end the first half, tells the story of, that was the exclamation mark to me of withstanding the pressure that RSL was giving and putting us on our heels. That was clearly the turning point. And that's that's where the narrative nationally and locally kind of went is, that was obviously the turning point, especially what was about to happen in the second half. Yeah, and, and uh, just a couple bookmarks that we can talk about later or in the wind down portion of the show here. Uh, but some things that you said at the beginning there that RSL was on top of us, they definitely had two weeks to game plan against us. Um, and I thought the first half showed that especially. We, you know, we were worried about a lot of switches early, and Carnell mentioned that there were a lot of switches and, and passes across the field that they were using, uh, making our guys run a lot more. Um, and they were just up for the battle. That's like, like you said, Matt, I think they were the team that has done the best against us, even though it was mostly in the first half. Stuart, any thoughts before we kind of go into these goals, kind of burn through these goals? Yeah, I was really impressed with uh, Julio up top. He gave us fits, I think, especially in the second half of the first half. Uh, he was consistently getting around our center backs. Um, there was one where, I mean, Bartlett had no contact, but there was a challenge he had on Julio and uh, kind of swept the ball away. But uh, he, he was a really, he really 
tricky uh, attacking player who really should have come across with a goal, I think, at some point in that game, but we held him. Uh, but he was very impressive. Uh, I thought Justin Merrim had a had a good game for mm-hmm. um, Real Salt Lake too. I know he got subbed out fairly early in the second half, but um, overall, I was impressed. I thought we did well. I mean, you you talk about uh, the save by Berkey at the end of the first half was amazing, but if Bartlett nails and sinks that header off the corner at the what ninth minute in the first yep. first half then that changes the entire momentum of the game as well. And he, he's kicking himself. You could see as soon as he... Visibly was, upset. Yeah, he put that right <laughs> right into uh, McMath's hands, and he was you know slapping his gloved hands together in the cold, running away from there. But <laughs> you know, Bartlett, Bartlett's going to nail some of those headers. Uh, he just, If you're getting free on those corners, Leuven's going to find you. So we'll, we'll see some of those goals. Absolutely getting free on corners. That's what we're about to talk about. One thing I want to put a pin in since we're talking about Bartlett as well is later. I hope we can talk about uh, that slide tackle early in the game. RSL was putting so much pressure on and that slide tackle um, was either, you know, a missed pen or the best tackle I've seen all season. So we can talk about that later. But, um, you know, speaking of uh, Leuven finding people in this case, it wasn't Leuven, but our first goal for St. Louis is in the 47th minute. And it was an Indy Vasilev uh, take in the corner. This is becoming a theme, right? It's uh, set piece goals are definitely a way we've been getting our goals early in the season. Matt, do you want to talk about this one? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was so thrilled that Indy Vasilev was the one that was able to kind mm-hmm. of get this going. Um, we we knew and we saw the power of Leuven before he was the one who assisted the first goal. He's had kind of been the presumptive set piece taker leader um, on our squad, but Indiana Vasilev with his left foot is just as dangerous. And, and this in particular, uh, able to come out of the first half and really, really owning up to the tide changing, um, Vasilev put a ball in the right over Klaus's head. I mean, it looked like Klaus knew exactly what he was doing when he ducked out of the way. Hmm. So Joe Akini can, so we can land at Joe Akini's foot and he can, he can put it home. Um, and, and that clearly changed the entire momentum. So Vasilev showing the danger that we have on both sides of the field from our corners and also giving us that additional confirmed flexibility almost that it doesn't matter who's on the field, Leuven, Vasilev, at any point, either can and are dangerous. Yeah, and the next goal, let's go straight to that one, Matt, if you can talk about this one. I had forgotten that Isaac Jensen was the one that led this one in oh, yeah. right after he, he subbed on. That's a really cool detail. Yeah, so the and I, I made note of that because in the postgame presser, Carnell was very specific to say after kind of weathering that storm and outlasting, he knew they had triggers in the second half that they were they were waiting to uh, bring on and that those players had to be more brave. Those triggers that he mentioned being Rasmus Alm and Isaac Jensen. And so it was very noteworthy to me that the minute Isak Jensen came on, the play after he subbed in, he took the ball himself, got up past midfield, laid it off for Nelson to the left, a, a sequence that we had been sorely missing in the first half but has become a hallmark of St. Louis City, is for our midfielder to kind of pivot the ball up and play it off for a fullback who's able to cross it in the box and then find somebody who's in there. In this case, it was a cross just outside the box, and it led to what ended up being the goal of the week by Klaus. 
Yeah, crazy. I don't. I thought I was kind of surprised at that. Um, Stuart, any thoughts on that goal, or the one that we talked about already with with the corner? I mean, it. So I was uh, heading over to second shift. I had agreed I would uh, watch the first half at home before going to the second shift for the second half. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't see Nico's goal on first. Uh, well, it was live, but catching it later. Uh, no, it's just you. We are so deadly on set pieces. You cannot, you cannot turn off for a second on this team. I mean, I'm sure RSL going into half and coming out of half, they were feeling like they had the momentum. They're excited, and then what? The 48th minute or uh, early 54th minute? What was that? But just punished them right away. And mm-hmm. at that point on, it was just over. I mean, there were it, the the game was decided. It wasn't going to end any other way than than a route. Yeah. Funny thing on, on this real quick. One other note on the set piece goal is looking at the stats um, from a, from a set piece perspective, whether it's uh, in the field or a corner, we have, we are tied for the league lead in set piece goals with Atlanta United at three. So crazy. And is that sustainable? That's going to be a fun conversation to have so far. Every, every underlying stat seems to think that we can keep this going back passes or not, you know, that that's going to be a fun uh, theme. We're, we're, we're tops of the, in the league in overall set piece goals and we're top six in set piece shots. So it's one of those almost um, score by attrition so that you mm-hmm. get yourself in the position to take as many of these shots with the, the quality of player that we have to take and to finish. And we're going to find net. Uh, speaking of back passes, <laughs> STL in the 66th <laughs> minute, yet another goal by Klaus uh, given to him by Pablo Ruiz. Um, you know, watch the video. It, it's the fourth one that's happened. I mean, third in a go- that ended in a goal. But yeah. you know, I posted that video earlier this week where he's gotten the ball that way four times a season in five games. You know, we we talked before after the the third one, um, or after Klaus's first, I think it was that we are putting ourselves in the right positions to make these kinds of shots. And there's an an underlying um, story about our finishing and our clinical ability to finish. And that can't be overlooked. And the, the great thing I actually asked Klaus this week in the pregame presser against uh, for Minnesota, I asked him kind of without getting straight to what's up with all those back passes, sort of like, what's your perspective on how you're able to be in the right position at the right time and, and how are you able to, you know, get these passes, cut them off, take them and finish. And so the two things that stuck out about his answer to me were he's not doing anything, right? <laughs> he's, he's just there. So it's not necessarily him doing anything other than being in the right position because he knows his teammates and he gave all the credit to his teammates, whether it's Nelson or in this match, uh, it was Joachini who put pressure on the defender to make that bad pass, to not have to, to to have to look in unfamiliar places or look in familiar places with unfamiliar results. And so he put all the all the praise on his teammates to be able to put the pressure on, force these uh, either turnovers or force these passes that would otherwise be routine. And then Klaus just finds himself in that position because he knows, and he, he said this was the other piece, is that he just kind of knows where his teammates are going to be driving the players. So Joe Akini right there was driving Ruiz, Pablo Ruiz, towards the center. And so Ruiz turned around, obviously could have passed to the guy on his right, the fullback back there, did not, overlooked, went back towards the center, 
and Klaus was right there. This was more egregious of a back pass than the first Klaus back pass goal because at that one, I think it was Charlotte, at least he had to have full extension to his, to his leg to capture the ball, right? This one, it was more, he was just straight up given the ball because Ruiz was under pressure by Joachini, wasn't familiar with a an attacking player being in that position, and then obviously the the praise then goes to Klaus's ability to finish these because if, if we didn't have a striker who could finish these easy oppor- easy opportunities in the sense that he's been given the pass then this wouldn't be a story it would just be a cliff note that we would be kind of musing about yeah completely agree and um it was a really cool detail in extra time uh quickly but Matt Matthew Doyle talked also about how there was some game planning involved in his opinion that Klaus was sitting on Pablo Ruiz's left foot he's left-footed player and he usually hits a hard switch with his left and he couldn't do that and he clearly panicked and sent it where he thought was familiar to him muscle memory you know right there to get it so very cool um last goal st louis in the 76th minute a goal by Alm. he's created goals he's missed a couple this time he gets one and uh man he off he obviously works extremely hard so it was really cool to see him get that the the quote that carnell said after the post-matching in star cell was that rasmus Alm stayed late at training this week um and carnell told him last week the game before rsl that he was going to score based on what he was seeing in practice and so Alm had multiple days last week where he just stayed late and so that that individual desire to do better and to be a better finisher showed here. But the thing really that got me in this sequence, it wasn't Joe Akini with the ball in the midfield. It wasn't Klaus receiving that first pass on the left. It was Edward Leuven right in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. He attracted five defenders mm-hmm. on top of him. That screenshot that Justin Horniker posted, I went back and looked at it myself to see just like how in the flow of play that occurred. And it was significant. They were on him for a pretty, a few seconds. And that's a lot when you're in the flow of play. And for Leuven to absorb all of that pressure and be able to pass, make that last pass between two of those defenders over to Alm and then Alm's ability to finish here. The whole sequence was beautiful. It was. And, and, you know, the guys were all there. The guys were running hard on a counterattack. So, you know, that's how you do it. The more guys you get running in the same direction on a counterattack, the more chances you get, you know, pass it over and over and over. And as long as someone's there, uh, a defender might not be, especially a back post uh, fullback. So that was really fun to watch. You are listening to Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis podcast, and you're also listening on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for listening to us. We are going to move on now to a section where we kind of fill in some stats and news, and we kind of reflect on what's to come before we preview the next game, which in this case is Minnesota United. Uh, we thank you for joining us here. Stuart, let's start with you, man. Any thoughts on everything we talked about in Minnesota? Any stats? Any news that you want to kind of start off by uh, covering here well uh minnesota was one of those teams just like st louis city who uh were expected to finish near the bottom of the table wooden spoon contenders uh since their star player who really had the focus of all their attack last year emmanuel reynoso he is a troubled individual and he is on i think uh administrative leave would that be a i think that's the official term they used yeah, so he, he's had a lot of issues. I think right now he's uh, back in Argentina trying to save his marriage. Um, but in previous years, he's uh, pistol whipped someone um, outside of a club and also done some other things. So he's an incredible player, um, but also very troubled. And Minnesota's loss is our gain right now. 
but they've uh, recovered and have actually they have eight points in four matches, which is uh, a lot better than I think anyone would have expected to, of them at this point in the season. Yeah, it is. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And Reynoso is going to be a big hole. Um, it's going to be kind of a theme with Minnesota and perhaps even just us not sure about what to say about them. Um, but maybe before we get into that pretty deep here, Matt, do you want to talk about uh, a few stats that you have or some news? Yeah, it's it's been an interesting week uh, from just a player perspective because you're coming off of the quote unquote international break, which MLS did not observe. And so you had some players who weren't available in that sense for St. Louis being Kyle Hebert and Miguel Perez. Hebert with Canada, Perez with the U19s and in America. And so you're getting both of those players back for this next game. Um, Perez arrived on Wednesday during the day and he was doing some regen work, uh, trying to, to let the club assess his fitness. Kyle Hebert arrived late on Wednesday night. And uh, Carnell is still working with the the staffs of both U.S. and Canadian teams to kind of assess where they were on their fitness and how much uh, how much action they actually saw. Hebert, we know, played about 28 minutes for Canada. So both of those players are are back with the club, but their statuses and availabilities as far as minutes or restrictions that's still unknown. Um, Hebert, I think, is the biggest question mark just because with him stepping back into the lineup, it poses the question, Hebert or Bartlett, essentially. Hmm. Par- Parker, you assume, is going to stick in no matter what. Bartlett has played uh, two matches in two clean sheets now. So if Hebert is not able to start or go the full 90 because of that fitness uh, from the past week and a half or so, I don't see a reason why Bartlett couldn't stand in. But that's going to be something to monitor, though, in the next couple of days. And as we're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS, in the, a few minutes when you see that lineup revealed, whether Hebert's going to be on the bench or in the starting lineup. The other the other big piece is the midfield, uh, Jabulo Blome. So he was officially cleared from health and safety last week before RSL and actually played 13 minutes against RSL. Uh, thankfully, he wasn't able to, to need to do a whole lot coming on as a sub for uh, Vasilev and Leuven when we had the game up in hand 4-0. South Africa for him, good news there. He wasn't able to travel, but they did qualify for their Cup of Nations, so he should see, hopefully, national team duty eventually. This week, though, for Minnesota, Carnell has said pretty directly that he doesn't see Jabulu Blome near starting a game yet, but it's going to be continuing to load in training and and see some match minutes grow. So uh, he also mentioned a healthy Blome is obviously better for the team, and he's going to continue to push others in competition. So when we're looking at how our lineups are going to go and when we're going to uh, speculate on our lineups here in a little bit, uh, I would not obviously not put Blome in the starting lineup. There's two other injury updates I think worth monitoring. One of them isn't as big, Jake Nerwinski. So Jake Nerwinski sat out of practice on Wednesday. Carnell said it was just a deloading day for him, helped manage a tight back that he's apparently had for a few years. Uh, but Carnell was very adamant that there wasn't anything serious. And in fact, Nerwinski was back in training on Thursday. Rasmus Alm is the other one. And hmm. Alm, is, Alm is noteworthy because he apparently picked up a knee contusion against RSL. And on Wednesday, we saw him leave training early, about 20 minutes in, as precautionary it looked like. But he went in and uh, he didn't practice on Thursday. So his availability is in question right now. He, I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up on the injury list as questionable. Uh, but his, he's going to be one of those players, similar to Tim Parker, with the groin issue that they're going to be monitoring in the 48 hours between their last, uh, between now as we're recording and game day. 
uh, just quickly, I think Jake Nerwinski is the only one that really worries me a lot because we've already proven that we can go without any one of those other players, which, you know, I don't think that I would have seen myself saying that um, yeah. in the preseason. But, you know, I think Jake's played every single minute so far. Is that right? Jake, Jake is one of two players now, Jake Nerwinski and Roman Berkey, to play the full 90 in every single game. Yeah. yeah, who's our backup right back right now, Matt, if you had to choose one? <laughs> Ono Mali? I would say Josh Yarrow. Josh Yarrow? Oh, I'd say Akil right Watts. Akil Watts or Josh Yarrow, but I, so it's, I, I that, that was a flip of a coin. You know, I had said Akil Watts <laughs> earlier in the week, but then I, I, I don't know. It's not Ono Mali, I don't think. Um, a, because he played left back for City 2 last week, uh, which we'll talk about City 2 later in our, our wind down. But um, he, I would say Akil Watts or Josh Arrow potentially. Great question. Uh, we got to move on though, boys. Let's talk about Minnesota United. Matt, I'm just going to read your notes here. You put them in here for me and I'm, I'm going to say it. Fourth oh. place in the West with a 2-0-2 record. Undefeated. Uh, but Matt, I really like some of the things you said. Um, you posted a tweet about why they are a good matchup for us. Would you like to kind of talk about that or, or some other things here you've got in, in the notes? Well, I mean, I don't have the tweet up in front of me, but I, I remember looking at their XG, their XGA, and the stats don't tell an impressive team. They don't tell they don't tell the same story that you see from Seattle or LAFC. They tell the story of a low block team, a team that is vastly different than what we had seen previously with Reynoso on the field, and a team that, after getting some feedback from that tweet, uh, they are still trying to find their identity, talking to some Minnesota fans. They they have not had consistency yet this year just by uh, circumstance. So their second game of the year was in a massive snowstorm. So there wasn't able – I mean, that was obviously something you can't judge a team by. And their fourth game, which was just this past week, was during that international break where they were missing some of their key players. They didn't have their full-strength lineup. So we were look, look, looking really at two games, their first and third, where also they're still trying to manage life in a post – Manuel Reynoso world. So what, what Stu is saying about his importance to the club cannot be overstated. Reynoso mm-hmm. had 10 goals and 11 assists last year. He led the team in both of those categories and in shots with 77. The next highest on their team was their other designated player, Luis Amarillo, with nine goals, five assists, single digits. And Robin Lode only had six goals, two assists. I mean, these are massive drop-offs. Reynoso also wasn't just a goal scorer for them. He had 134 successful dribbles last year. The next highest on their team was Franco Fragapane with 35. 134 to 35, are you kidding me? Like that the the gap that Reynoso leaves has caused this lack of an identity for Minnesota and he was a player who they didn't know he was going to be gone until what the month prior mm-hmm. because they there was he obviously hadn't reported to preseason but that drug on for a, a period of time before it was any anything official. So they weren't able to bring in help. They weren't able to retool their lineup to accommodate for missing this key centerpiece in their roster. Yeah, yeah, that's a dangerous thing about MLS is if you lose a DP, you lose a DP and yeah. you can't just plug that hole. So Reynoso being out is a massive, massive hole for Minnesota. And like we saw with Sporting KC last year, they lost both two of their DPs and it just absolutely sunk their whole season. So knock on wood that... Um, we stay healthy. Yeah. But I mean, it seems less important to us. What I was going to say about Minnesota is really similar to what you said there, Stuart, that, you know, 
they're one of those MLS teams that has a bunch of really hardworking players. I think Columbus was like this um, with their number 10 as well. Just really hardworking guys that can really put in a good shift. And then they just feed the ball to their number 10. And he does all the all the pretty and, and heavy lifting as far as the final third. Um, you think of Carlos Hill at, at New England as well as like one of those type players. And so, yeah, like Stuart said, you lose him. That's a massive hole. And where do the goals come from if that person is gone? Um, you know, just to bring it back to St. Louis, where I don't feel like we're that kind of team. Yes, it might hurt us if Klaus is out. But my goodness, Matt, how many different players have scored now? Is it eight? Yeah. Eight. That's awesome for St. And Louis. We we had a, I had a comment on on Twitter earlier asking co- kind of comparing Reynoso's lo- loss of Reynoso to what happens if Klaus goes out. And my I, I wanted to respond, but it would but too long winded about how Joaquini would have stepped up, or we would be looking at uh, moving in our our attackers a little more, getting Ostrock involved with the ball. We have that clear delineation of. Every single person is capable of scoring goals in this style of an offense. It doesn't seem like that's the case for Minnesota yet. And they did just sign a, a new player from South Korea. You know, they are getting their international players back. So you you could easily also see that we're, we're getting them at the right time because they have yet to find that identity. They have yet to get this reinforcement in. And in the way that the way that they just showed their propensity to kind of let teams try and beat them, come at them. And, and kind of the way the stat sheets show their lack of an offensive presence, you know, the only real worry to me is one of those counter, like a quick counter that they're able to pass through Robin load or to get, um, Emery involved. And, and by, by making it quick and, and getting off one of those strikes early, I think that would be the thing that would throw us off when you're just looking at matchups, when you're just looking at the stats, there's a lot in favor of St. Louis for this. There are. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to bring it back. I, I've said it a lot in the past, but since we are on this is flyover footy, we are a St. Louis soccer podcast and we are broadcasting right now on the big 550 KTRS. Um, you know, to talk about City 2 again, like I've said in the past, that um, Minnesota has had our number. And I, I know I keep repeating that, but they counter they cross the ball across the whole field to where no one is. None of our defenders are to someone really talented used to be Azeel Jackson who we stole because he did this so well against us in my opinion. And uh, you know, they got one or two guys to try to defend against a pass, a pass. And that's a goal. I think since they know that that worked against city too, they're going to use that. I also think they're still in flux. They still are. Yes, they did just get that new attacker. They do have all seven of those guys that were gone. Um, from international break back but just like Hebert and Perez like we're not sure to what extent they're going to be in the starting lineup for us it must be the same for Minnesota so I think they're still going to have to resort back to being a bunkered team which could be difficult for us just like you know it worked against Portland but Portland was missing a lot of people so yet again like we still haven't faced someone at full strength and difficult but Minnesota has the experience and the playing style to get us. Um, so that's not something to look lightly on. Stuart, any thoughts about Minnesota United? Anything we've talked about here? Um, no, just they they are less offensively capable, and we've touched on that a bunch. Um, but defensively, they've had some reinforcements in this offseason off that have really helped them. Hmm. Uh, Zarek Valentin, um, the Port, uh, Puerto Rico right back, who came from Houston Dynamo. He's done well for them this year. And also Miguel Tapias, who's um, 
came from Zacatecas, I think, in uh, Liga MX. They've both really reinforced them. And uh, Matt, you talked about Seng Bin Yong, um, who I'm I glad believe, you said the name because I would have butchered it. <laughs> I think he came on. Was he on loan or a transfer from Wolverhampton? But he he was one of them. Um, might have been a transfer, but he was a transfer. He was a transfer. Yeah, they they have him. Yeah, he was a guy who had a lot of promise at one point, and he still might. But I know he was uh, highly touted when he signed with Wolverhampton. So they, yeah, once they find that identity and they click, maybe they'll be dangerous. But right now, they're not from what we've seen. So this, yeah, good time to maybe catch them this season. What do you think, Matt? Do you think you know beating Minnesota United? It's just going to be everyone's expectation at this point. Do you think people? I don't know. What do you think everyone's saying about this game? To, to me, everybody's saying this is the start of a three-game kind of test of who we really are. This is this is the put-up-or-shut-up time because so far, uh, the it, the narrative has it, it's included the how great St. Louis City is for going five and zero, but it's also included a look at who we've beaten. And there's been a lot of talk, not just about who we've beaten at the time we've played them, but who we've beaten and looking at them in retrospect. So teams like Austin and Portland and and San Jose, not giving us, in my opinion, the due credit that we deserve because these we've beaten these teams as they're sitting right now, our playoff teams. Yes, they might not have been Austin is wasn't you know the team that we thought they would be to come out the gate, but they did have CCL to contend with as well, and we know how that goes for MLS teams to juggle. Mm. So now it's kind of. Minnesota is that first undefeated team, but there's also these underlying things that are baked into a 2-0-2 record for Minnesota, um, who they've beaten and kind of where they've gotten there, where they've, where they've gotten to from here, uh, past Minnesota, there's, there's a massively different story with Cincinnati and Seattle, but to me right now, I wouldn't expect to see this. If we beat Minnesota, uh, I think we'll get a little more credit, obviously continue the winning streak. Uh, but they'll still be the same kind of detractors nationally or from other team that looks to, oh, this is a Minnesota team without an identity. They're still figuring themselves out. There'll be those excuses kind of baked in regardless of what we do here. So to me, the narrative it isn't so much about us getting the, the respect that we deserve anymore. It's just more so about what we've been doing up until now. Just keep gathering those three points. Keep keep hauling them in. Keep building our our lead and our, our top of the table performance. That's what I, I just want to focus on us at this point. You know, that I've gotten tired of seeing the the different reasons why we're undefeated. And so I'm more so focused on just the fact that we are undefeated five games in. And after, if we do end up beating Minnesota, which again, it's a home match too, that can't be overlooked. That's another advantage that we clearly yeah. have. Um, so it, it, there'll always be excuses even after, whatever happens with Cincinnati and Seattle, there'll be excuses no matter what on why St. Louis is fluky. And in fact, the funniest thing to me is you can tell how desperate other clubs fans are at this point to find reasons why St. Louis is doing what we're doing. When Lutz finished deals past is coming into certain things, things he's wrote about in his book about being in a Singaporean, I think prison for match fixing allegations, which were completely debunked. He was released without incident like it was obviously a setup and he, he wrote about it and that's being pulled out as if, oh, I wonder how St. Louis is able to come about this. It's bizarre things like that, that fans are having to come to grips to, to find reasons why St. Louis is so good at doing what they're doing right now. 
Yeah, it's it, this incredible match-fixing conspiracy that's going on as if Lutz is paying center backs to flood <laughs> back passes. It's right. just absolutely absurd. And yet someone pulled it out on, I saw on Reddit as like a gotcha moment. You're like, oh, are you serious? I it's it's not a gotcha moment. He wrote about it. He wrote about he, it. Everyone knows about it. It's it's not a, the easiest, most simple thing is that defending an MLS is not up to par of other leagues. And uh, Carnell and Lutz know that, and they set up the team to take advantage of that. That's it's not rocket science. Yeah, and there's something too. You know, I don't think anyone can put a finger on it quite yet. Uh, but there's something to you know all the variables, and that being that you know I do think that we're going to be especially good early in the season, like we've talked about, because we're a pressing team. Uh, players make more mistakes early in the season. They haven't gotten to know each other, and we are the kind of team that can take advantage of that better than uh, a lot of other teams. So. You know, I'm just really curious to see if it can be sustained. And, and the doubters, I've gotten to the point now where, yes, I mean, the allegations about Lutz are absolutely ridiculous, but people can only work with what they've experienced. You know, everyone, it's become a statistic-driven commentary league, right? And the stats, we're breaking records. Everything is totally different with us in the way that we're they're winning, that we're winning, and it's it's just hard for people to to grasp and even as a, a biased fan, I can't explain exactly what's happening or how it can be sustainable. Uh, but we can, you know, just, you know, hope that it's going to keep going and, and see certain stats that typically do keep going and going and going. But, you know, I don't know all that to say that it is understandable to me why everyone is, is shocked that we're doing this because really no one's done it. Well, my favorite thing, too, is that it's the, the team and the system that is almost showing MLS that there can be a designated team version of success here. <laughs> and and I, I've come to love that term now after what's happened the past few weeks. The, you mentioned it, Phil, the eight different players who've scored a goal now with Alm's goal against RSL. And the fact that we're talking, we mentioned earlier just in passing, if Klaus were to go out, Joe Keeney would step in. We'd still run our 4-2-3-1. Sam Adeneron would probably step in. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of depth things. We're down to our uh, fourth center back, I think it was. So with Nilsson, Parker, Hebert, out, like those kinds of things. We're down to like Bartlett, Yarrow, Bell, like that that level where we have that depth that can step in. Blome's been out. Indy Vasilev steps in. Perez goes out. You have uh, Akil Watts able to step in. You know, you have all of these players who are great in this system so far through five games, but some of them have even been castaways by other team. You have the overt castaways by, you know, that we picked up in the expansion draft where four of those players are starters for us right now. Um, five if you count Tim Parker. Uh, but you also have guys like Jake Nerwinski who was being severely misused in Vancouver by the end. He was being mm -hmm. played so far out of position, and he he is so ready to talk about the fact that he loves playing right back. That's his home. So you put him there in a system that mirrors to the umpteenth de degree what he was playing in Vancouver, and you're obviously going to pull the best out of him. You've got Jared Stroud, who was a literal castaway from Austin, didn't see any time with them, and he's doing what he's doing out here. The... In addition to pulling guys in that they've scouted from across the world. So you have all these different mixes and matches of players that have 
either been soured in the past or this is their first opportunity and they're being looked at to prove themselves here like an Ostrock and a Jensen for something bigger down the line, or you have just MLS castoffs. I mean, they're all these things pulled, pulled together in the system where everybody is confident, everybody trusts each other, and they know at this point, it seems pretty obviously, they know where each other is going to be in any given moment. My my favorite, I think it was um, the Quakes game, I want to say, Joe Keeney's first goal, where he knew where Nelson was going to place the ball to him in the box just by ne- looking at him. <laughs> like it, he knew where he had to be and he sprinted a little extra. He mentioned that post game and after that, where it's, it's starting to be this second nature. You just know where guys are going to put the ball. You know where guys are going to be. And it doesn't matter where they came from. It matters that they've been in this system for so long and they're able to apply that so early on in MLS. And that's the kind of stuff that works all season long. That That's not, sustainable. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and we're not banking on turnovers high. That's what we feast on, but that's not what we bank on. The talent has been shown in uh, you know, just certain moments of owning the ball in the opponent's third for a long spell. That's been happening. That's cool to watch. I mean, we, we lead the league in high turnovers, so that's just a consistent part of our game. But we don't need to rely on these back passes that we've created chances off of. When you also lead the league in goals four with 15, setting uh, uh, tying the record so far for that, setting a record for the biggest goal difference through five games, those kinds of things are what you can build off of in multiple parts of the field, whether it's coming in from a corner kick or a a strike from Klaus outside the box or defensive pressure or offensive pressure on their defense that can, you know, all these things can play together in different ways that we're able to score the goals. And possessing the ball in the final third might be something we see against Minnesota too. So we might have to prove ourselves. City might have to prove themselves in that regard. Uh, Plenty in this game. The last thing I wanted to bring up before we do some predictions is that I think I'm looking forward a lot. You kind of touched on it, Matt. The next two games after this, Seattle Seattle Sounders and FC Cincinnati, very quality teams, well-drilled teams. They're showing their quality by by winning. Um, And so I'm... That's where we really see St. Louis's true tests. What do they look like against those teams? It's going to be a massive challenge. I can't wait for that because I do think it's going to also just confirm a lot of our belief in the team. In some, even if it doesn't come out in all wins, I think it'll show um, that they're a quality side as well. My favorite thing about this team too that Carnell has mentioned multiple weeks in a row is how they reset every week and they focus on the opponent at head ahead. So they, they're aware of all the accolades talking to Leuven, talking to Klaus, they're aware of the, the recognition that they're receiving. But Leuven in particular had said last week that he's just not letting anything change his style. And he knows how he got these accolades were by focusing on himself and doing what he needs to do. So taking it week by week, no, I'm sure they're aware of what Cincinnati and what Seattle have been doing and where they are in the power rankings and what their uh, visibility is in not only the standings, but in perception. So the, I, I love this, this thing about our team where you hear it all the time. It's easy to say something like that, but they're able to show it. And so that's, that's what I'm, that's why I'm not worried about anything. We've talked about Minnesota a lot and in, in good and bad. I'm not worried about our team overlooking them in the slightest. Uh, let's move on to predictions and Stuart. I want to start with you. We'll, we'll do the starting lineup and then we'll go around at, after we give our lineup guesses and guess perhaps the score, which is not, not all of our favorite part, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, so Stuart, what do you think the starting 11 might look like? 
I'm going to go with the same starting 11 as last week. I'm actually going to go with Bartlett over Hebert, but mm-hmm. I think Hebert probably will start. Um, but my guess is Bartlett. He's just been impressive. I'm going to stick ride with him. Um, and uh, I'm going to go with 3-1, and I'll do a goal by uh, Ostrak, a goal by Klaus, and a goal by Big Sam. I like that. Who do you think? He got his first one. Um, hmm. I don't want to say the exact same thing as Stu, even though I might think. So I'm gonna go. I'll say different. Um, with that caveat, I'll say that um, Hebert will start. Uh, I I think the job is his when he's back to full fitness, and that dude is just an Iron Man. So I I'll I'll say um, Nelson Parker Hebert Nerwinski Leuven Vasilev. I'm going to say Jensen gets the start, though, too, with Ostrock and then Klaus and Joe up top. Interesting. Um, so you are going 4-4-2. Okay, good. Yeah, so, yeah, 4-4-2. You know, I, was, I do want to say 4-2-3-1, and I think if Alm is in, I think we definitely go 4-2-3-1. And I'm only saying that because I think that's what we used against Portland, and I think we're going to have a similar game plan against Portland. Yeah, Portland was away. And I'm, am I yeah, wrong? You're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I think Ostrak and, uh, oh geez, now I'm, I'm blinking Stroud and mm-hmm. all will start in the, uh, attacking midfield. Um, and then the rest, yeah, I agree with Hebert. I think Hebert's going to start. Does your, d- does your opinion change if Alm's not able to go? Um, I don't know your Jensen shout. Yes. In my opinion. Yes. We, we do four, four, two if Alm can't go, but, um, cool. yeah. I didn't give a score prediction. I'll I'll say uh, I'll say three zero. Let's go. Let's keep the clean sheet party nice. going. <laughs> uh, does Jackson make your bench? Yes, absolutely. He makes the bench and he plays with City Two on Sunday as well. <laughs> yeah, Minnesota Two uh, is traveling with Minnesota. I assume because yeah, they'll play the on Sunday. Day. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting thing. Uh, smart move by MLS there in that regard. I don't know. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say two one. So I don't, I'm not going to guess who's going to score, but I think St. Louis will win two one. I think Minnesota is going to give us some trouble. I really do. But, um, I think of them having some guys out is we're not going to see their best. I think our next game against Minnesota is going to be the one to watch how much they improve and how good they are against us. They, they they run a low block on defense, but one quick shout is that they have one of the fewest passes uh, per play, so passes per sequence, and they like to play a little more direct than some mm-hmm. of the teams we've played so far, too. So a lot more direct than an Austin, a lot more direct than uh, the Quakes. Uh, so, you know, they're, they will play a low block on the defense, but they, they might give us some, uh, some issues in transition. I think so too. And actually, you know, directness, maybe that's a good shot for Bartlett. If they're going to lump it long, Bartlett's the bigger, taller guy than Hebert. Um, not that Hebert's had any trouble in the air, but anyway, something yep. to watch for. That's it for uh, from us, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you're listening on the radio, enjoy the game. You might be walking in right now. Hopefully we got you guys ready to watch this game and maybe uh, some things to look for against Minnesota. We are Flyover Footy, and you're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you, everybody. We'll be talking to you next week. Go City.
Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Grab a third DP. Well, it's obviously Firmino. <laughs> well, hold on. Let's let's start. Let's actually start. I'm just going to keep what? everything you just said. Uh, but, you know, this is Flyover Footy. It's the wind down. Thanks for sticking with us after the break there, after we did our radio segment. Um, Stuart, you want to kind of read some of those questions and, and kind of reply again? I want to talk about Song Bin Young as well, because he's an interesting player. Yeah, uh, Joseph Illif had some good questions. Um, uh, will we see Minnesota try to back pass in their end of the pitch, or will their coach instruct their players not to? Um, with their, you know, obviously our magical abilities to get those back passes. <laughs> um, and also, he had, uh, is it hard for Berkey to captain from the goal? He had to make some big saves to keep RSL from scoring in the first half. Does that indicate a challenge to managing the defense? What do you think, Stuart? On, let's start with the first one. The uh, I mean, question. both teams are going to invite possession. I mean, Minnesota and St. Louis, well, we are 28th and 29th in possession statistics going into this week. Matt, as our stats guy, is that was that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, neither, neither uh, team neither team wants the ball. Yeah, it's going to be hot potato. So, um, but I think we can make them pay. Um, Minnesota, though, uh, I think they're going to play as they will normally. I think to try to adjust their game plan too much, uh, specifically to avoid Klaus. In my opinion, you don't want to get in your own head on something like that, especially with the crowd that's going to be so loud on Saturday. Um, I think they will try to keep their game plan and Adrian Heath's not going to specifically tell them to avoid back passes on the, on the passing in general. So we had, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, Minnesota doesn't like to have many passes per sequence. So they're, they're quick. And then the sequence ends one way or another. Um, if you remember playing San Jose, and what they what their style was. San Jose is second in the league in overall passes attempted, and Minnesota is dead last in the league. But the difference is stark. I mean, it is massively stark. And and so San Jose has completed two thousand forty five passes. Minnesota has completed nine hundred twenty four. And yes, they've played one less game. But if you can extrapolate nine hundred twenty four over four games. Like that's that's far less than 300 passes, which is that's worse than a St. Louis statistic as far as number of passes. So if you think how how often we pass and what our passes look like, that's kind of wild to think. Um, there's only a couple teams in the league around our number, and it's Minnesota, New York Red Bulls, Chicago Fire, mm. us, Portland, like those kinds of teams. And so I don't. To me, I think obviously going forward, every team's going to be on the guard for those back passes. That to me is a given where if you're a coach and you're not at least cautioning against that, um, then you're doing your job wrong. But I think that the the nature of how their low block is going to transition into moving the ball up, um, I don't see a lot of horizontal movement among their back line. So that's an opportunity for our game and our pressure to dictate the flow of play. If we're able to force them into more passes in their defensive third, um, that'll be a, very, a really good sign for us. The other thing that was about that, that Klaus goal against um, Real Salt Lake, the back pass, um, 
That was the other thing Matt Doyle said was that uh, his normal outlet, his emergency outlet in the midfield was like nowhere to be found. So he was upfield and he was guarded and blocked off by our midfield. So that's another thing is, you know, we're forcing these mistakes, not just one player. It's not just because Klaus is there. Yeah, that's what you said, Matt, actually. But yeah, that was a cool example. Well, so in I'm visualizing what you're talking about and mentioning the left-footedness of Pablo Ruiz. And the thing that struck me in watching the replay is the fact that he had a fullback to his right that he completely ignored. I know, and yeah. He turned, he turned back around. But I, I juxtapose that against what St. Louis has done because we, we get pressured in our defensive third a decent amount. And you have players like Indiana Vasilev is a perfect example to me. I've So against Portland in particular – I was really frustrated at his inability to move the ball up the field and have to check back down to our fullbacks, to center backs. But he was successful in those. He was smart with his his checkdowns, his back passes, so to speak. And when you talk about a team needing to do that, is there any more valuable of a resource when you're needing to pass the ball back than a keeper who is good with the ball at his feet and good with distribution? He's had to get rid of it quickly, and he doesn't always punt it in those situations. Sometimes he sends it directly to a guy's foot or his chest. It's been incredible what Berkey's been doing back there. He's so trustworthy. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's another defender that we have the ability to pass to, and and teams don't do that, or at least they don't they don't look to that as their option one or two, or they they don't make that a part of their game plan. And that's an extra player on the field that we have when we're feeling that kind of pressure. And that's why one of the reasons why I think we've been successful in avoiding that Stuart, is it hard for Berkey to captain from goal uh i don't particularly think so i mean a goaltender's job is to kind of manage the back line and also with parker out there as the vice captain you really have both of them kind of leading i wouldn't i mean i'm not out there with them but i haven't seen any dearth of uh leadership I remember back to preseason, the uh, there was a leadership council put together by our coaching staff. I, I don't know if it was by our coaching staff or if they just volunteered, how that formed. But um, I wish I had it in front of me. It was Berkey, Parker, Yarrow, Leuven, and I'm missing somebody. It might have been Kyle Hebert, to be uh, honest. Nielsen was in there, but while Nielsen wasn't present for treatment, Hebert stepped in. Well, yeah, and it was everybody who wore the armband in the preseason, basically. But my my point is, though, getting to sorry, getting to Berkey uh, and how he captains from the net. Um, Lutz and Bradley have spoken in the past about how, yes, it is somewhat unique for a keeper to be a captain, especially in the MLS world. But it's not necessarily unique when you have someone of the uh, of the caliber with the experience and vision that Berkey has, and so. By, by allowing him to be captain of the overall team and, and of that back line, like Stu said, you still have those leaders on the field who can drive the flow of play, who can dictate and inform and, and coach other players up. Um, Edward Leuven and Tim Parker being key, like you mentioned, Parker. But uh, when you're on the attacking end, I think, too, there's a lot of um, us and not me, which helps the fact that your keeper is in net. I'm sorry, your captain's in net. And Joseph, not to make this sound like a, a silly question, uh, because it's been asked in my favorite po- podcast to listen to is Scuffed, and um, 
Greg on that podcast is a goalkeeper and a goalkeeper coach. And so someone asked that same question of, I forgot who, I don't know if Turner was captain one day or something uh, for the men's national team. And he was like, it was exactly that. It was a counterattack. And someone was like, is it bad? Like that, you know, Turner hasn't stopped that. Is it bad that he's the captain in those situations? And Greg was able to kind of say something like, you know, it's a, a counterattack is a counterattack. It's fast. It's not like you can say, Hey, watch out for the counterattack before it hits you it's just like it is it's it's happening and that that goal uh, the thing you're talking about i assume was that counterattack um that i was thinking about with rsl anyway um i agree i don't think it's it's a big deal um i don't think carnell thinks it's a big deal or he wouldn't have allowed it you know what i mean so um another question is good the song bin jung song song bing young <laughs> I'm not sure if the J is hard or silent or, or soft, I mean, but uh, while he came from Wolves, this is from Aaron Scott, he had spent his entire time with them on loan at Grasshoppers in Switzerland, and I believe he only or mostly played for their U21 squad. Yeah, that's true, and what I, I just want to say a couple things that I learned about him, that yeah, he hasn't gotten good minutes in a good league, he played in the Korean first league he got six goals and two assists in 24 appearances 1600 minutes um that's kind of like similar to what alm did in the swedish league and so i was kind of dismissing jung and then i thought about it i was like you know a team like minnesota first of all they're signing in a u22 initiative yeah so that's the thing he was literally quote they literally quoted minnesota's coach you know me and names i'm sorry i don't have it adrian heath they quoted him saying that they want him um, in 2026 when he expects Jong to start for the South Korean national team in the World Cup. And so they want to sell him off after that kind of a showcase situation. So he's one for the future. But, you know, I doubted Alm a little bit, and I think I'm, I'm being shown that I was wrong. So maybe I shouldn't do that about, about Jung as well. Well, I, I mean, that kind of pedigree coming into the league from the St. Louis side hasn't necessarily been needed. Right. A lot of our could be different. And and that's why a lot of people underestimated what St. Louis is doing, because they didn't have those um, brand names, almost Klaus, Alm, Ostrock, Jensen, even. And this this is this is only an upside signing. The U22 initiative is absolutely key to roster flexibility. Doesn't hit the cap at more than about one hundred and fifty thousand. And they have control over him for a significant period of time. Uh, and, And that that pathway, like there's an article in MLS soccer that talks about Leo Campana from inter Miami took the wolves to grasshoppers loan pathway. And so there's this network that's kind of being seen and driven on success. And I I have no doubt he's going to be exciting for Minnesota and South Korea in general to have. I'm just glad that we don't have to deal with him uh, later on in the season in form. Actually, well, we'll have to deal with him in September potentially. He had to clear their visa system. He had to get his visa, rather. So he is yeah. clear. That was I just saw that today before we, we started here. Um, Stuart, uh, you answered this question already, but repeat your answer, and then let's all think about a different third DP that we might want. Perhaps we can all answer this, but if St. Louis was to grab a third DP, who would it be? Uh yeah, my third DP choice would be Firmino. If, <laughs> Hard choice. <laughs> I mean, he's the he's the dream. Yeah. Uh, if you can make that signing happen, you make it happen. Uh, even if you have to make every other team in MLS pay for your player, <laughs> play for you. that's a whole other question. And um, yeah, maybe we should talk about that. Of, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, who am I talking about? <laughs> um, you know, Firmino's my choice, but um, ultimately I expect uh, Lutz to have someone in mind probably already that mm-hmm. they're targeting if if the opportunity comes up. And um, at this point, I trust Lutz to know who to sign and who needs to fit in because it, there don't there aren't any glaring holes in the lineup right now or anywhere that we would need to plug in a dp um okay. yeah and, uh keith also asked about i saw this top bid 90 predicted that we'd lose i mean uh yeah they probably predicted that we'd lose to them in the <laughs> home opener so sorry they did they did receipts in hand <laughs> yeah so um they'll be wrong again sorry love it you guys ever talk about Jensen being flagged as a young DP? I saw he was listed as young DP on the MLS soccer site, but I also saw some other glaring um, inconsistencies or errors, straight up errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them being that they have us list, uh, they have us with 31 people on our roster and that's impossible under mm-hmm. roster rules. <laughs> so there, I, the other thing that doesn't make sense on that front is a young DP's purpose is to sign them for a significant amount of money and have them hit the cap at a certain um, a certain value. Jensen from last year's um, MLS MLS PA salary numbers was only making one hundred forty eight thousand two hundred fifty guaranteed, and we had him on a free transfer. Hmm. That that right there is under the dollar amount to where a young DP would be worthwhile. So I don't know why you would classify him in that unless his first year salary and second year salary were markedly different, which could be the case. We'll find out in a few months when those new numbers are released. But that that doesn't that designation doesn't make sense to me. Um, what I do think, though, from Stu's point of Firmino or bringing in somebody. Um, we also have flexibility on the international roster slot. We also have that flexibility because Max Schneider has been loaned down at the current point, uh, season long loan to city two mm-hmm. that frees up an international slot for him. So we only have nine internationals on the book right now, two slots open with Schneider down with city two. There's a lot of movement that can happen with those two roster slots uh, in the summer transfer window. So whether it's Firmino or somebody else, um, I would definitely say DP or otherwise, we're going to be bringing in people this summer. And for me, a young DP, like it's going to be something flashy and, and awesome, or at least someone with massive upside. So I wouldn't think Jensen fits that, that profile. Um, he's, is he just too old to be, he's not. How oh no, he's, he's how he's come plenty he's not young. a U22 initiative, Matt? I don't remember. Same thing, uh, dollars. I mean, okay. U22s, U22s hit uh, the budget low, and that's their that's their purpose. Okay. You can bring guys in, pay them higher, and they only hit your salary budget at a $150,000, Oh, charge. so he just hasn't been – he's not paid higher than that is what you're saying. That's that's what I uh, – and I could sure be shocked. Right. Yeah, I could be shocked when the new MLSPA numbers come out, but that's the only thing I can consistently point back to is – his um what they what his base is is lower than that and is guaranteed is less than 150,000 from last year's numbers it doesn't make sense for any kind of a designation even though he fits the qualifications for them first mls contract he was uh 18 years old when he was signed you know those kinds of things 
while we're talking about Jensen, I want to take do my a little bit of a, of a hot take here. Um, in that, you know, I might be sticking my foot in my mouth like I have with with Alm and even like super early um, non-public comments about Leuven. Uh, <laughs> but Jensen, um, you know who I like better than Jensen right now so far in the season, and it's too early to say this is a legitimate take. But Celio has looked so good in the final minutes of the games. I like. I bet his ex assist, expected assist, is a decent number for the amount of minutes he's been in because several of his passes could have been goals. Several, not just a couple. Like he's just made to be a super sub, dribble around a tired guy. You know, like he's looked so good. Um, and so far, I, I kind of like him better than Jensen, even though Jensen looked pretty good, like a good downhill runner in that last game. He reminds me of early Pulisic um, in that he's just really good at carrying the ball from midfield to the final third. Or maybe a Musa. Uh, not James Musa. <laughs> ah, Eunice. Musa for the – Eunice, thank you. <laughs> That's my thought. I don't know if you guys want to disagree with me so that we as a podcast aren't blamed for a bad take. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I I don't – um, other than being consistently uh, good and doing what he needs to do on the field, like I haven't spent a whole lot of time analyzing Celio because he, like you said, he comes in towards the end and he, he just makes, he makes the, the game go the way it needs to go because he's fast. He's puts pressure on people. He's always closing gaps. He he's, I, I want to see him get a goal because I think that would just be, the cherry on top of what he's been able to do towards the end of the game. Um, but he's been a firecracker coming in and in, and not just from a, a skill level, but from a hyping the team up, his laughter, you've, you guys have, you've seen it in, in training. His laughter is infectious with everybody. He's just a, that quality person to be around. And, and that's the, like having him come on the field to, to the end of these games is almost just that mental spark. You need to finish it all out. Agree. Um, we have a good question I want to hit. Um, Tim's Bucket Hat is a great Twitter account. Um, oh, I love that one. <laughs> he says, um, anybody know what the Ravioli Boys merch is going to be? I'm glad we can talk about this. Thanks for asking that question. I think they teased today it's a jersey and a shirt. Oh, they said the words jersey and shirt? Well, they said top. Uh, they called it a there toasted top. And then they said something else with it, but it's uh, this Saturday at 4 p.m. If if you're down at if, if you're going to the game or if you're not, go down to City Park at 4 p.m. at the garage, the new garage across the street. Uh, they're finally doing a pop up shop on the first floor, which they touted when they first announced um, Stu's favorite garage. And they're they're selling as long as they last those um, the toasted top and whatever other toasted shirt they have. I'm looking for for Celio uh, XA stats and I can't find them, but I want to I want to post that later. Uh, Toast, toasted top and T Rav T E E dash R A. Oh yeah, that was witty. I liked that. Brumch. Stuart, any thoughts? Anything you want to talk about? Well, I'm just hoping that uh, they uh, retweet that video they did last year of all the players tasting the St. Louis <sighs> foods. Uh, that would be a nice throwback <laughs> leading up into this Saturday's game where we'll see those amazing T-Rav jerseys or tops. You think they'll be worn on the warm-up? 
Matt? <laughs> oh, I if hope that, so. If, if MLS allows them to, that would be amazing. <laughs> that, that would be that would be sweet. That would be really cool. I'm in love with that idea. I love how this is the April first thing for them. The first <laughs> April first thing was the this you know Ravioli Boys shirt that I've got on, and and now just running with it. Uh, I I think it's fun. Why not? Agree. Let's start hitting the news at the end of our notes here, Matt. Um, Generation Adidas Cup. I didn't even think about this until today when I heard about it on Extra Time. Yeah. I'm so freaking excited. Tell us all I about would be, it. I would be more excited if we could watch one single city match. <sighs> but anyway, uh, Generation Adidas no, no. Cup. Uh, sorry, David Goss said he thought it was going to be on Apple. So I think... City match. Oh. City, city, they released the schedule. They released the schedule and City didn't make so the cut for the group stage. Yeah. Anyway, take a step back. Uh, Generation Adidas Cup is basically the pinnacle tournament for MLS Next and international academies that MLS has invited. Um, there are 49 clubs from 12 countries in a almost week and a half uh, tournament where there's a, a group stage, uh, three matches in the group stage, and then they go into knockout rounds to kind of crown a champion more or less. Uh, it's, it's the pinnacle, it's an identification type of a tournament. There are the playoffs, there are showcases. Every team is guaranteed to play. Oh, what was it? Seven matches, I think. And yeah, seven 60 minute matches comprised of two 30 minute halves is what every team is guaranteed to play. Hmm. Uh, starting April 1st, going through April 9th and the, it, it will be at the U15 and U17 age groups. So St. Louis City will have representation for both of those. Um, and both cities, U17 and U15 teams play uh, April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. But none of them are televised, even though these some of these select group stage matches will be on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. Who are our opponents? The U17s play Remo Stars FC. Portland Timbers and Strikers FC, which is the only non-MLS hmm. academy in MLS Next who's been invited. And the U15s have a little more um, flashier of a schedule. They play Charlotte FC, Seattle Sounders, and Arsenal. Cool. That's why I was excited because there's, you know, there's legit academies from all over the world in this thing. So I'm glad we get a, a good opponent in that age group yeah. at least. This is like the 14th year they've done the Generation Adidas Cup, and it's taken on uh, a lot more, I think, importance uh, since the um, dissolution of the USDA, hmm. right alongside MLS Next kind of sprouting up. But the the concept of 49 clubs from 12 countries with, I mean, you're talking Arsenal, Barcelona, Manchester United, uh, I think Juventus has their academy. All of these global powers, so more or less, invited to play, and just seeing the the next generation of American MLS talent competing against those academies is it's a fun concept and it's exciting to have it on MLS Season Pass. Finally, able to watch it a little easier because they've put ep they put um, matches on YouTube in the past, but you know YouTube's not the the greatest interface for trying to find things. Um, Apple themselves are still figuring that out, but it's nice to be able to just open up the app that most of us have at this point, and that we have live matches coming up all weekend on. Apple's been a success, don't you agree, Stuart? 
I mean, I'm happy with it. I, I just wish they would fix their audio levels on their mixing. It's been mm-hmm. absolutely awful and something that I th- I've seen a lot of people around the league talking about as well. So I know it's just not my my TV, but uh, they have to figure out how to, you know, talk and not um, be silent and then have the crowd noise be too loud and timbers. I think there was some, maybe some cursing that they were picking up on. So they dropped that audio level and then the (laughs) commentators, they didn't match and it was just a mess, but they'll figure that out. But as far as the accessibility, it's been good. I've been been scarred by my ex-boyfriend, which is uh, MLS next pro, which was (laughs) just terrible. (laughs) Yeah, well, when you have no expectations, uh, right. anything's good. Exactly. On, and and I'm the, I was excited to see Next Pro as a part of this, but I was bummed that they didn't have replays up. I would have liked to have seen the City Park City Two match, um, having been there, but they don't have replays up for Next Pro. Yeah, in fact, you know, I wanted to kind of highlight. And I might still try to use the highlights because I think they're up, but I was going to try to yeah. highlight the tactics Minnesota United 2 used against us with Azeel Jackson last year and just kind of post it in case the same exact stuff happened. It'd be cool to see, um, but, you know, no replays then for sure. And I was wondering if they would have them for this. The replay's not on Apple, is it? That's nope. really sad. Very sad. Hmm. I'm going to complain about that publicly somewhere. Let's uh, let's talk about. We got one more topic here, Enterprise Community Corner. Starting this was a yeah, this is a fun one. one. Yeah, I I I don't know what I was doing, but I missed this story for a few hours uh, when it was first gone up. But I thought I saw it come across, and I was like, oh, they partnered with Enterprise. That's hilarious because it's like partnering with your brother or something like that. But in reality, what this is is similar to other teams. Um, that have provided tickets in the stadium uh, complimentary for certain community causes. And this particular one is Enterprise and City partnering to provide up to 159 seats each game to local St. Louis community organizations that are furthering the growth and revitalization of St. Louis that support a, a range of civic and philanthropic causes. So I don't know which groups in particular, but you see those buzzwords and you think of companies and organizations that are doing good for the community around you and their organizations are more or less being um, rewarded by partnering to spring them into city park get more fans involved and i think that that can only be a good thing you know 159 seats out of the 22,500 and I, I just think it's a great it's a great thing that the club's doing agree i mean i don't want to be this guy but do, do we feel like this is, I mean, maybe they're always going to do this, but do we feel like this is a response to like the weird smart ticketing stuff that's been happening this season, Stuart? I, I mean, this, I know I saw you pretty upset about this. Like the dynamic pricing? Oh, sorry. Dynamic pricing. Yeah. Yeah. Dynamic pricing is here to stay. I think that's kind of an industry uh, staple at this point, but um, no, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not happy about it, but we, it's something we live with and uh, I, I, I'm I'll always find something to be upset about. We'll put it that way. And uh but I'm I'm happy that at least uh City Two prices I think are are spot on for season tickets. So people who are priced out of city home games and especially by a secondhand price or secondary market, City Two games, mm. you know, hundred and five dollars gets you season tickets for City Two and you get to experience City Park and 
the amazing facility that it is and watch some great upcoming talent. Um, but yeah, no, I could, I could rant all day about dynamic pricing, but it's probably not, uh, I'm probably not the smartest person or most, uh, <laughs> educated on the topic. So, um, yeah, no, I should probably not. Well, it was just on my brain. The only reason I bring it up is cause it was on my brain cause of the men's national team is like every time that kind of topic comes uh, well, up. Well, yeah, they, uh, the so, most egregious. Yeah. That, uh, that picture that came out and went viral again, that was MLS buzz who tweeted that out. And yeah. I believe that was in 2019. There was a 2018 there. There was a summit. Uh, U.S. Soccer Federation had a summit in um, Florida, and they just broke it down where they, you know, it's better for U.S. Soccer if they get fifteen thousand people at fifty dollars ticket than if they get twenty five thousand people at twenty five dollars ticket. And for them, it's a numbers game. That's all it is, and that's how it's been for years. And I think that really is how the whole industry is. That. U.S. soccer was just a little more naked about it, and that screenshot went out, and it's 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 been floating around for years. And every every time that you have a U.S. game with ten thousand people attending because tickets are a hundred dollars a pop, you know, you put it out there because that's how they price everything. And I don't want to be, like come across as a rabble rouser because that was like such a positive thing that they just did with the enterprise community corner. I'm all for it. I really respect it. I think it's, you know, I think the way I phrased it was like, there's something romantic about, you know, making sure that anyone can access one part of the stadium or filling a stadium with tickets that are affordable, um, best you can. And, um, you know, MLS and us soccer don't get that as large organizations, but here we see our club doing something deliberately to get, um, you know, anyone in there like making sure that no one is is totally left out of, of the game um after they've spent about a billion dollars on this club you know you know that's where i defend the dynamic pricing especially in these first couple years um after we started this club and they spent a billion dollars who am i to say they can't charge whatever they want to charge um in, in each seat but you know there's the one thing i will say is just that there's some romanticism to making sure that you get tons of cheap seats that anyone can go fill them with. Um, you know, you start, you think of the Bundesliga in that regard, that they make sure that they've got, you know, the yellow wall is full of, of cheap tickets. It's almost like uh, we're seeing the literal clash of the old versus the new, where cities talked up this massively massive game of being a community partner and a neighbor. You're seeing the stadium built in what has, you know, it's getting some infill of, um, residential around it and getting some uh, commercial things built up around it to make it seem more more homey, more like some of those areas in England and in Germany that are close-knit with their community. But at the same time, you're facing the reality of capitalism. You're facing the reality <laughs> of 21st century markets and needing to make money because of the investment you've made into this league. Mm -hmm. And so you're juxtaposing uh, those two ideals almost where the first is a, the romanticism that you're speaking to and the second is the american reality of soccer mm -hmm. that that just exists and i think that's a it's a tough line to toe when you're trying to speak about all the altruistic things that you want to do and that the values that you hold dear and you're trying to live those values while still needing to do some things that 
need, they, I mean, they have to fund certain things like, so ticketing prices or, um, what, whatever kind of partnerships end up being like, you have to make money and dynamic pricing is just a reality of that on the capitalism side. Yeah. And even the Bundesliga is, is towing the line. They're having a hard time holding on to that. So, you know, life is life. Covered it well yep. there, Matt. Thank you. Anything else we want to talk about before we go? We're doing great on time, guys. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things on uh, City that I, I've heard and I asked Carnell were kind of lineup thoughts. So trying to get a peek into how he's viewing setting lineups, especially given health. And so looking at that for a second, um, there's two kind of things that he had said recently on setting lineups and depth, especially in the attacking mid. And when I, when I asked him uh, a couple weeks ago about the attacking mid depth, especially because we seem to be plentiful up there consistently, the injury bug has not hit them knock on wood, Hmm. but, but, especially when you look at the two striker formations that we've been running the past couple of games. He said in regards to the depth in the attacking mid, Carnell did, it's no reflection of form. It's just a reflection of what the opponent might give us. So we have a bunch of these guys, Isak Jensen, Jared Stroud, Rasmus Alm, Tomas Ostrak, for two positions. We have four players. But you can see the power, whether we bring Tomas in late in games or whether we bring Isak on late in games, Rasmus on late. I think we have some real good momentum when we bring guys in. And that really was personified by what happened with RSL and it, it was I hate to use the term I don't hate it too much but I really I don't mean disrespect when I say it but the plug and play mentality and Tim Parker even briefly he used the term but he briefly alluded to it's kind of like it's plug and play in the sense that everybody is bought into the system everybody knows their role and you can you can take out one guy for whatever reason and put the next guy up in his place and you're not really going to miss a beat and and that speaks a lot to that attacking front, but the other um, the other side the other piece of this is Nico Joachini in particular. So I asked I asked Carnell this week if Joachini has I use the term uh, opponent agnostic if he's become that kind of a player when it comes like to the it. lineup. And it's you know you obviously see the form that he's in, but when I think of opponent agnostic on our team, I think of Klaus, I think of Leuven, I think of Tim Parker. I'm probably going to think of Joachim Nilsson, uh, Jake Nerwinski at this point, and, and Roman Berkey. That's probably the extent of opponent agnostic. And to become one of those players where you're not going to take them out, you can put them in the lineup in pen every single game if they're healthy, that's a big deal on a team that has this level of depth and plug-and-play-ism going on. He did say that he doesn't view Nico as that player. He views Nico more as... Um, able to able to fit in when he needs him to and just and he, he aligned him more with the group that i just mentioned as far as uh any given saturday hmm. so not not to to or uh in detriment of his form or anything like that but it kind of it's an interesting indication of as we predict lineups kind of how how that's viewed from the club's perspective and what that depth really means because whoever's not picked in the starting lineup like it's proven fact that they're going to be difference makers in the second half. Mm-hmm. That's well said. I, I think I daydream a lot about exactly that thing, which how much is it game planning and how much is it just picking the hot hand slash rotating? You know, I don't know. I mean, only maybe only Carnell knows, maybe only the, the whole leadership, you know, the, all the coaching staff knows, but 
I wonder that a lot. And I'm, I'm right now I'm truly leaning toward it not being game planning. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving Carnell enough, enough credit, but once Nico started away, I was like, okay, I think now we're on the hot hand. It just feels that way. Well, and, and that's, uh, that's kind of why a guy like John Nelson is still starting every single game. Right. Yes. He's, he's obviously earned it, but that's the thing is he earned the spot right out of the gate and he hasn't given up hold on it. There's been no reason to take him out. Uh, undefeated streak aside, even mm. like his, his, his quality of play has forced him to stay in the lineup. And that to me is the personification of writing the hot hand where there is a guy on his heels we assume in Selmer Pedro who you can get in exactly. and they were competing really hard in preseason, but he just hasn't let up. So if he's not a opponent agnostic at this point, he very, I, he very well might be. Yeah. That was a fun interchange on Twitter with the seed and, and, and you, it was, it was a cool conversation because Pedro, like we all know his quality and it's been, yeah. I think the biggest shock as far as the guy that you didn't expect to not play at this point in the season. <laughs> Agreed. And and he was the guy when uh, Parker might not have been able to go that Carnell was asked and even tossed out. Yeah, we might consider him a left center back. Hmm. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, Stuart, maybe we can close with any thoughts you might have, um, including perhaps you want to uh, wax poetic about fatherhood or Felicity. Any any stories you want to tell us? Uh, no, fatherhood's great so far. I, uh, I'm enjoying, uh, all the diaper changes. Um, <laughs> Till they get smelly. No, so far, uh, she's a very relaxed baby, not fussy. Um, I'm just here to support. So can we clip that and send to Sarah? <laughs> I think she's listening above. I'm in this little, uh, uh, South city basement uh nook in my house uh waiting for the rain to come through the walls oh yeah <laughs> uh, no just uh excited to be back on uh back in front of the microphone coming to the game on saturday and seeing everyone in person and seeing another city win yeah i hear yeah you're here and congrats again man I, I had to miss that last home game and i can't wait to be back in that stadium again it's gonna be so much fun st louis brought it and they keep bringing it. So anyway, that's all we got. Uh, thank you all for listening. It's Flyover Footy. You can hear us on 550 KTRS. That's pretty cool still. <laughs> it hasn't worn off the good feeling there. So um, They're still letting us do it. They're still putting us on. So yeah, we haven't gotten fired yet. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.